my one defense, my righteousness. Oh God, how I need you. That's a good word to come up on. Well, good morning. Uh, my name is Aaron. I'm one of the pastor elders here. If you're joining us online, so glad you are here with us. And um, we're going to be digging into the book of Luke as we continue in our series, A World Turned Upside Down. I was thinking uh, this week about uh, authority, I guess, and I was thinking about uh, the, the natural respect, I guess, I've had for people in uniform and people in a certain position. I don't know about you, but like the videos of soldiers coming home and being reunited, reunited with their families or their dog, you know, (laughs) but especially their kids like going into schools and surprising their kids that those get me like every time. And uh, with the uniform, I guess, comes with it that uh, the level of respect I have is because I know that they had to go through a lot just to get to where they are. And I think of that with other positions as well, with some titles that, uh, at least in my mind, have a given amount of respect within uh, the courts, uh, a judge. And I, I watch a couple of, I, I love Bull. Anybody watch Bull? It's a great show. I, I like that one. Uh, but it wasn't until I was in jury duty that, uh, that I understood and, and I guess maybe felt felt what that was, that respect. And we don't have a whole lot of ceremony in in our culture, in American culture and society. And yet, being on the jury, you come in, and then when the judge is going to rise, uh, the, the bailiff all rise, and everybody rises, and the judge comes in. And I don't know this person personally. I don't know their, uh, what they've gone through, and yet I know they have a degree of education and have gone through a, a number of things to get to that place. And I felt... Uh, the honor going towards this person that I felt was deserved. Now, I'm sure there are many that, have, uh, that don't deserve and have lost uh, the right to that honor, and yet I felt it. And uh, it was a different level of understanding than watching a TV show. And yeah, we know that that happens. And even I've been in quite a few courtrooms, um, sometimes, usually traffic, uh, but, uh, <laughs> but sitting next to other people, and, uh, and you feel it that way, but it was a different sense when I was a part of the jury. And, uh, and so understanding that and feeling that, uh, I don't know if, the, if you have a, a similar experience or, or if you see that when you see somebody in uniform, you know, somebody knocks on your door, and uh, that happened to me yesterday, somebody in uniform, oh, and then I was like, oh, I know this person, and I know why they're here, good, because that made me nervous for a second, <laughs> you know? And uh, a, a level of respect for those people that are in uniform. And, and so I want us to be thinking about that high regard for position and uh, as we move into today's text, because it's going to be a text that some of it is very familiar uh, to, to most all of us. Even if you've never been to church before and never opened your Bible, you're going to know today's verse. I almost guarantee it. So we're going to open up to Luke chapter 6. As a reminder, we find ourselves in the Sermon on the Mount or the Sermon on the Plain, a time that Jesus sat down and taught 
uh, the multitudes, his disciples, a large group of people that were following him, as well as some that were a little bit more closely committed and connected to him. And this is really where he is turning the world upside down and taking all the world's priority systems and the things that they understood from their culture and saying, that's true, but let me show you the fulfillment of this or the completion of this and what your priority should be in kingdom counterculture. Because kingdom culture in, in God's kingdom is counter to the culture that we find ourselves in. And so it's with that kind of a thought that we enter into today's text, which is again Luke chapter 6. Let's hear. Well, let's start in verse 37. Judge not, and you will not be judged. Yeah, right? I told you. I told you it'd sound familiar. <laughs> Condemn not, and you will not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. Give, and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be put into your lap. For with the measure you use it, it will be measured back to you. So these concepts of judgment, of condemnation, and then of forgiveness. Uh, and so looking at the flip side of that, and, and so he is teaching on these things. And this is one of the most quoted Bible verses by people who really don't read the Bible. And this is a verse that is not really understood by those people that don't really read the Bible. But guess what? This is a verse that's not really understood by those that do read the Bible. And so often we're faced with this, uh, this affront of do not judge. You shouldn't judge people. And we're at a loss. Well, they're right. Man, Jesus did say that. And so let's dig into that a little bit more. So Luke, in his word for judge, is talking about uh, to survey, to evaluate, to decide, to take in the information that you have been given and weigh it out, the evidence that you have, and then make a determination about this. And it comes with a number of different uh, ways that that would play out. That would be like to judge in a competition or a contest, right? And, and that doesn't seem too negative. We don't think negatively of a judge themselves in the court of law. That's somebody that has been assigned. I mean, even in a pie contest, like probably you have some sort of expertise uh, or maybe you were the first one there. I don't know. But there was some reason that you were set aside to be placed in a place that you were going to assess and then bring back a verdict, okay? And so you were chosen for that. And so in a pie contest, we have opinions about what we like in a pie. That was a great pie. That was a horrible pie. And guess what? Maybe you're both right. You know, there was not necessarily something that is a baseline that we're making that judgment over, whereas in a court, we have the law that is our basis, and that somebody that has become an expert in the law is to make judgment on these things. And yet so often we think of judgment as a negative, yet it doesn't have to be. You know, I think of, of potlucks. Actually, I grew up going to potlucks, church kid, that's me. I hated potlucks. I despised a potluck. Like, it's a whole, it's a 45-foot table of people's casseroles. Do you know how many thousands of ingredients are in there? And half of them, I feel like, are just leftover ingredients, and you have people open there. This is how I felt at, like, eight. Like, you open, you open your fridge, and that's what you had? Like, macaroni probably goes with cranberry. 
You know, let's put some garlic in there too. And, and, and so we're having this and, and you're sitting at a table and you're eating casseroles and somebody is like, that is a delicious casserole. Did you taste it? And you're like, yeah, I tasted it. <laughs> I don't know if my mom taught me this or if I just took it in, but you know the napkin trick? Like, I just put my napkin over that one, <laughs> right? Because you didn't like it, and it's subjective, that there is no right and that there is no wrong within that, and yet we make judgments. I tell you what, though, we, uh, somebody that moved east, Dolores Eli, could make a pie. Am I right? If you know, let's, let's hear some applause for Dolores Eli, right? So we divide up potlucks, and it's like, if you're A through M, then you're making main dishes. If you're the rest of the alphabet, then you're bringing side dishes. Except you, Dolores, you're bringing a pie. That's where she would have been sitting. And so she's still making pies for her family out east, and so uh, we miss those. And I remember one day I went to a primetimer's potluck, and, and then they were like, yeah, there's an avocado pie up there. And I'm like, avocado pie? Come on. Come on, people. And I like avocados, right? They're like, yeah, Dolores made an avocado pie. I was like, oh, Dolores made an avocado pie. And it was delicious. It was delicious, and so I passed judgment, even though I wasn't given authority in that place, to pass judgment and to make the determination that Dolores was going to bring a pie. And so we make judgments or evaluations, and we survey information all the time. And so what is he talking about as Jesus teaches us here not to judge? He's talking about in the way that it is fair. Are we judging fairly? Are we judging the heart of people? Have you ever had somebody judge your heart incorrectly? They took something you did. They took something uh, that they were assessing your actions, but they didn't capture your heart and what you meant by it. Years ago, we did uh, a thing that we called Christmas uh, out of the box, and, uh, and it was in place of a Christmas Eve service, and some of you remember this. And we were like, we're going to have community groups come together, and they're going to celebrate together, and we're going to give them ways that they can come together and dig into God's Word with one another. They're going to be able to reach out into their communities and invite other people into their home and have a meal, and it is going to be awesome. It's going to be the greatest thing. We're giving people all kinds of options so that they can execute this on their own, and we're going to reach more people than we ever would have if we opened up the doors, and this is where our hearts were, and man, we almost got crucified for canceling Christmas Eve service. We're not canceling. We're having something different, something that we think is better. And yet it wasn't our hearts didn't quite get conveyed. And we realized that we weren't showing love. And so we, we, we had to eat crow. We're sorry. That's not what we meant by this. We apologize. We come back. And how can we show you that we care? And yet also be thinking about how we can care for our community and for those who are around us. And yet I think we've all had moments when we were judged and our heart wasn't captured. It's another time that we were at a, a basketball game when, when Ben and Brooklyn were little and, and somebody asked me, you know, are, are you going to be a, a real pastor one day? And, uh, and, and I let them know what I thought about that. And no, I'm a youth minister, and I'm going to be in youth ministry for the rest of my life. <laughs> anyway, and, uh, 
And, and that that's where real ministry happens. And, and as I had moved even from doing children's ministry to youth ministry, I realized children's ministry is really where it's at. That's where most people are going to accept Christ. That's when people are most open to learning about his love. And then, and then second to that was, is within ministries to middle school and high school students, those that are under 18, because the odds are so much higher that they're going to accept Jesus. Please, whatever you do, don't stick me with those adults. They don't listen. They don't change, and they're probably not reaching out to their friends. And, and I let loose on this guy, and Judy was like, dude, you need to calm down. <laughs> he was just asking you a question. He was just curious, and you bit his head off. And I had to say, okay, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I, I, that wasn't my heart. That wasn't what I meant. And you're right. I did bite his head off, and I'm, I'm glad to be here with you guys. You know, Whatever. <laughs> Just prove me wrong that you do listen, that you do change, that you do submit to this, and that you do invite your friends to be a part of your lives, and, uh, and we'll get along just fine, okay? Cool. And, uh, and, and so it's talking about in the way that you judge, you will be judged in return. James chapter 4, it says, do not speak evil against one another, brothers. The one who speaks against his brother or judges his brother speaks evil against the law and the judge and judges the law but if you judge the law you're no doer of the law but a judge and there was only one lawgiver and one judge and he who is able to save and destroy but who are you that you would judge your neighbor who do you think you are is what James is talking about and sometimes we pass judgment and then we make uh, an accusation against their life, and we're looking, and it says here in these words that there was slander and speaking against, and that there was uh, somebody to, to figure out what their character was by their actions, and then taking it upon ourselves to announce what I have decided to others. And he says, who do you think you are? Do you think you're the judge? And I guess I have this visual of the judge at the center. As I was in the jury, we sat over here, and there was the plaintiff and the defendant, and the judge sat elevated and separate and in a robe. Who are you? Do you think you're the judge? At best, at best, you're just a juror in this thing. Who do you think that you are to take the place of the judge? In fact, what it's talking about is our posture. That when we do this towards other people, you know, that, that we are not simply a person, but we are taking uh, the stance of the judge and of God himself as though to say, God and I have decided that you are guilty and we're going to tell others about it. And we're aligning ourselves with God as though we were equal. You don't have a place there, he says. You don't have a place next to God, next to the judge, to sit in that seat. Verse 39, he continues, he says, He also told them a parable. Can a blind man lead a blind man? Will they not both fall into a pit? A disciple is not above his teacher, but everyone, when he is fully trained, will be like his teacher. The poet Samuel Butler said, Opinion governs all mankind like the blinds leading of the blind. Opinion governs all mankind. 
How appropriate is that in this day of social media? People's opinion governs. And people feel like we have a right to share our opinion of all matters, of all things. And not just as a juror, but as a judge. Now, we do all have thoughts, and we do all have opinions. That doesn't necessarily mean that we need to share them. I cannot tell you how many times I've been on Facebook, and somebody says something, and I'm like, oh, no, I don't think so. <laughs> and then I, I, I'm almost always, I just like, delete, delete, delete. No, it doesn't matter. You don't need to get into this there. You don't need to say something as a stranger. You know what? If, if it's that important to me and I know the person, I'm going to call them up. And I'm going to say, hey, can we sit down and can we talk through that? Because I'm not sure that I agree with you, not as a judge, but as somebody that wants to have a conversation, one that doesn't have it all figured out, but I want to interact with you and not just throw a dart out there on social media. And how often should we come back to that? That, again, opinion governs all of mankind and people have decided themselves and culture has said that you get to be judged. Oh, but at the same time, don't judge others. Verse 41 says, Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not take notice of the log that is in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, brother, let me take out the speck that is in your eye when you yourself do not see the log that is in your own eye, you hypocrite? First take out the log out of your own eye and then you'll be able to see clearly to take the speck that is in your brother's eye. This is another one that gets quoted all the time. And it's a caricature. Jesus is, is exaggerating. It's his sense of humor. You know, he's not meaning this literally, obviously. He says, you, you, brother, you worry about the speck in your brother's eye. How can you even see it with the eight by eight coming out of your own? How can you even see past your own face to know what is going on? And, and often this verse is used to say that you should not judge. See, we all, you have a log in your own eye. So until you've got your stuff together, until you're perfect, you shouldn't judge others. And that's not what he's saying. What he's talking about is he's saying, you sure had better have inspected your own life and thought about it and prayed about it and have dealt with God on it. Before, he says, because it does end with, before you deal with the speck in somebody else's eye. And you know what? I think about that. Have you ever had some in your eye? It'll drive you nuts. You know, and, and, and your eye is itchy and you can't see clearly and you're washing it out and your eye turns red. And my wife will catch me. She's like, what's going on with your eye? There's something, something in my eye. It's driving me insane. And she doesn't say, oh, well, good luck with that. You know, she loves me. She cares for me. And so this is talking about the way that we should interact with each other, especially as believers, that we care about the discomfort that comes from having a speck in our eye. But we surely had better have dealt with ourselves, not to have achieved perfection, but to recognize our own lives in comparison to theirs. Not denying the speck in somebody else's, but understanding where we stand in comparison. So again, this is about position. We're removing ourselves from the place of the judge. We're no longer even a jury, but we're going down to the person and walking side by side in it. I see you got a speck in your eye. That's got to drive you nuts. Let me tell you about the plank that was in my own eye. I understand. 
I've been there. I'm not any better than you. I've had issues of my own, and I still have issues that I'm trying to walk with. And so you're not sitting in judgment over them, but you are assessing their situation and walking alongside of them because we're supposed to care for others, because we're supposed to walk with one another in these things. In Timothy, 1 Timothy chapter 1 says, I thank him who has given me strength, Christ Jesus our Lord, because he judged me faithfully appointing me to his service. Though formerly I was a blasphemer, this is the plank in my eye, a persecutor, insolent opponent, but I received mercy because I had acted ignorantly in my unbelief. And the grace of our Lord overflowed with me with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. Let me tell you how I have been delivered. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance. You should listen to this, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am foremost. I am the worst, he said, but I receive mercy for this reason. So that in me as the, the foremost of sinners, Jesus Christ might be displayed in his perfect patience as an example to those who were to believe in him for eternal life. To the king of ages, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. Hey, I see you have a speck in your eye. Let me tell you about the plank in mine and how I was saved from it. I don't sit in judgment over you. I was worse off. You should be assuming that your junk is worse than theirs. But I understand what it is. Paul says, I was the worst of all sinners. I was the biggest sinner of all. And yet that was so God's mercy and grace could come into my life. So that God through me can show others that he wants to grant freedom and a full life to you as well. You see, the Old Testament story of the Israelites, and I've said this over and over, is that they were blessed in order to be a blessing to others. And the same is true of the church today. We've been granted mercy so that we can give mercy to others. We have been given undeserved favor, grace. Why? So that we can show that kind of grace to others. We have been forgiven so that we might forgive others. I want you to look at your neighbor, person next to you, maybe right behind you. Make eye contact for just a second, okay? One or two. Now I want you to close your eyes. Go with me, close your eyes. Think of your worst sin, the worst affront to Jesus, the thing that broke his heart because of your decision. Now turn to your neighbor and tell him. Oh, okay, wait, maybe. But, but feel, assess this moment, that feeling. Next time, we're thinking about passing judgment as one who sits on the seat of judgment. Remember this feeling, that you are no better, that I am no better. And when we think of, of, of approaching somebody in an accusatory manner to tell them how they are wrong and how they have wronged Jesus, allow us to remember what we have done to him. Then how much more do you want to put your arm around that person and say, I know, I know what it is to break his heart. 
Let me tell you, this Jesus who granted me mercy and forgiveness, let me introduce you to him. Let me take you to him. Now, now that we have a proper understanding of what Jesus was talking about, not judging and not condemning and sitting in that place of judgment, but be granting forgiveness as a fellow sinner, let's move on to also what he is saying, because we are supposed to do some judgment. In Proverbs 27, 17, it says that iron sharpens iron and one man sharpens another. We are supposed to be here, especially from one believer to another believer, to sharpen and and to make better. And that sharpening comes with friction. And that sharpening comes uh, with, with heat. And sometimes our relationships don't have enough friction and don't have enough heat because we jump onto those words of, well, we shouldn't judge others. Don't judge others. Now, again, this isn't sitting in the seat of the judge himself, but taking the place of an advocate next to them. Iron sharpens iron. Luke 17 says, pay attention to yourselves. That's a plank in your own eye. Pay attention to yourselves. And if your brother sins, rebuke him. That's the speck in their eye. And if he repents, forgive him because you have been forgiven. Colossians, he says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in wisdom. Again, this is talking about from one believer to another believer. Okay? And it's because of the authority of the word of God. Let this dwell in you. You should know this. Honestly, as believers, we should be becoming more and more experts in it. And you're not going to do that by listening to somebody for 25 minutes on a Sunday morning. You need to be in this book on your own. I used to be at a church uh, in Colorado Springs. It was Disciples of Christ Church, and their pulpit uh, was made out of cinder block, and there was a stage that was cinder block, and it it had like a baptistry in it. You had to walk back behind the stage to walk up on this thing, and then this pulpit was about eight feet wide, and it towered around, and you had to step, once you're on stage, up into it. And it was this place of authority. And, and, and I remember that I was the associate pastor there, and I was like, okay, you're going to preach uh, next week. And I was like, great, can I have a music stand? Because I'm going to bring it right down here because I don't want to put myself in that kind of a place. It just didn't feel right to me. Have you ever seen like old English churches that they have like a stairwell up to a, a podium that sat over? You know, we did construction in here a number of years ago, and I was like, what if we put like a, a spiral staircase and then like this thing right up there by the window and we could be backlit by the sun? How inspiring will that be? I could stand over the people. Listen. And that that was the authority that was given, and some would say, well, that was to elevate the word of God. Man, all I need to do is be behind this this thing right here. Just give me the Bible. It is the authority. I'm not the authority. Don't put me in some psychological position over people because I'm broken just like you are. I just have a couple more hours to do this because you guys pay me to. I didn't know half of this stuff on Monday. 
I'm just digging into it and learning it and, and able to come and, and help you a little bit and help myself. In the meantime, all I'm ever giving to you is something that God has been wrestling with me all week on. And sometimes I do a better job of listening than others. Don't sit in judgment over that. Again, he's being reminded that even as a juror, you know, the judge can come in after a jury has, has said what they think and it's called a judgment notwithstanding the verdict. And the judge can say, you know what, the evidence doesn't line up with what the jury saw. And I've kind of been doing this a long time. And they can come in and give another verdict, even from separate from what the jury had said in civil cases. Because they're an expert, because they sit in that seat, and yes, it's elevated, and yes, they're in a robe, and because that is their role. So let God be God. But let us play our role as advocates, sharpening one another, walking with one another, relating to one another in our brokenness. He continues in Luke to talk about this kind of, of judgment. He says, For no good tree bears bad fruit, nor does a bad tree bear good fruit. For each tree is known by its own fruit. For figs are not gathered from thorn bushes, nor grapes picked from bramble bush. The good person out of the good treasures of his heart produces good. And the evil person out of the evil treasure produces evil. For out of the abundance of the heart, his mouth speaks. We judge fruit all the time. And guess what? We're supposed to. Especially as we look at other believers. We're supposed to look at the, the fruit that is coming from their life. You know what? And, and you can even walk up to an apple tree sometimes. And see a pristine-looking apple and grab it and it falls apart, mush in your hands. And there's worms inside of there. It's more than just looking, but, but getting close and, and understanding and smelling the fruit. And, and tasting the fruit to see if it's good or if it's bad. We need to be in each other's lives. And if you will risk allowing other people to know you, then we risk other people assessing the fruit coming out of your life. Is it true? Just because it looks good doesn't necessarily mean that it is good. And so we're talking about this thought that we need to be there to say, hey, I think that you're not, I think you're disconnected. And, and John says, abide in me and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine and you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit or apart from me, you can do nothing. Hey, I noticed that the fruit kind of looks good, but it's rotten. I think there's going on. I think you're disconnected from God. What can I do? How can I pray for you? How can I be there with you in it? I'm not judging you in the sense of I'm sitting over you telling you that you're wrong. I just have assessed that the fruit is not what it should be and that we can come alongside one another uh, there's a Netflix series called Rotten, and it's talking about uh, some of the FDA guidelines for food expiration dates and sell-by dates and all that stuff and how there's no like regulatory guidelines of how that happens. I'm, I'm no respecter of an expiration date, okay? You know, like, a, like, like I, I think we can tell in different ways. I don't care what the date on the milk says. I'm going to grab the milk, and I'm going to smell the milk. It smells good. And I'm going to taste the milk. Tastes good. Okay, the milk's good doesn't matter what it says on the label, even if it says it's expired, it may still be good, you know? Are, are you this way? Now, my wife is a respecter, as though it were the 11th commandment, 
thou shalt not eat the yogurt eight hours after the expiration date, right? And that thing's going in the trash. What are you talking about? Yogurt's like mold to begin with. Cheese, I'm going to just cut. If it's a hard cheese, like it's moldy, great. Give it to me. I'll cut that off. I'll cut that off. I'll look, look at all this cheese. It's still good. You know, but our heart is going to throw it away. And yet there's sometimes, you know, we've learned this about ourselves and about each other. And so I walk in and Trudy's cleaning out the kitchen. Like I come in and she's got, and she's got trash can there. I'm just turning around. All right, she's doing that. I'm not going to stress myself out over it. Because she's going to throw stuff away that I would never throw away. And then sometimes I'll open something up. And I'll open it, and, and, you know, sometimes, like, hey, there's, there's some lasagna in my refrigerator right now that she was going to throw. I was like, don't throw that away. I'm going to eat that. And I had a little bit of it, and I'm sure if I go home today, I'm going to open that thing. It's going to be like, oh, right? And then she'll be like, and then I'll go to the trash can. She'll be like, are you sure you're going to throw that away? Are you sure that's bad? Like, it's like, like you open it, and the mold is coming out of the Tupperware. Are you sure? You know, we assess how good something is by smelling it, by tasting it. We know when something is good or if it's bad. And God tells us the same thing about himself. You know, he knows. And in Psalm 34, 8, he says, Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. The fruit is going to be good. It's going to smell good. It's going to taste good when they're connected to God. And as believers, we're supposed to challenge one another in this and bring each other back to the word of God as our foundation, as a place we make decisions from, not sitting in judgment over them, but as an advocate with one another, becoming more and more like him. And yet, that's with believers. With other believers, it's different. You know what? So, time, so many times, we get so hung up on so many different things, on people's political party. Are they on the right? Are they on the left? Sexual or gender identity, whether they're pro-Trump or anti-Trump, where they fall on the Second Amendment, if they're pro-life or they're pro-choice. And guess what? If they don't know Jesus, who cares? What does it really matter? What we need to be concerned about is that they're connected to the vine. That's because we've all got stuff. We all have places that we fall short. And we need to come alongside people and say, hey, let me tell you about the plank in our own eye and the things that we went through in a Savior that loved me and accepted me. Sure, maybe we know there's a speck in their eye, but the speck doesn't matter as much as whether or not they know Jesus. But we get so hung up as believers on pointing things out that we don't even ask if they know Jesus. We don't get to know them and build a relationship to know where their soul is at, where their heart is at. I read a quote yesterday, last night, and I mentioned it, and I'm, I'm trying to remember it right now. That's why I'm staring and wasting time. But it was, uh, uh, we don't have a soul. We are a soul. We have a body. And I was like, man, that's good. We think of having a soul. One day our soul will live on. We are a soul. We don't have a soul. We are a soul. We need to be concerned with the state of people's souls. We all have a body, but the body is going to pass away. Our soul and the place that we stand with our Savior is what really matters. And I sure hope we will take the place of advocate over judge. That we would walk side by side with people, learning their story 
understanding where they come from, hearing their pains and their hurts and probably and possibly how the church has wronged them and then, oh, now I'm so sorry for how the church has wronged you. Let me tell you about God. Let me tell you about his son. And you can taste and see for yourself that he is good. Let us be more concerned about where they are with that. It's a verse that I want to close with out of 2 Corinthians. The band's going to come up and we're going to worship together, continue in worship together. And um, walk this week looking for places to be advocate. And as we, we are thinking about others' actions and the things that have taken place, slow down, please. Reorient yourselves according to God's economy. That we are not the judge and we don't have a place to sit in there. I, I think of that walking in jury duty and sitting in that seat. Never would I think of standing up from the jury and walking over and saying, excuse me, judge, would you scoot over? And yet when we take this place of judgment, that's what we do to God. That we speak for him to pass judgment on others when most people need somebody to walk with them, to walk alongside them. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 16. From now on, we regard no one according to the flesh, even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh. We regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away, and behold, the new has come. All this from God, whom through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Not a ministry of judgment, a ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us this message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors and advocates for Christ. God making his appeal through our lives. And we implore you on behalf of Christ to be reconciled, making his appeal through us. We implore you, be reconciled to God. For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Let's pray. Lord, I, I thank you for uh, being a worthy judge. God, I thank you for a perfect life that your son lived on this earth that qualified him to pass judgment, and what he passed on to us is mercy and grace and peace and purpose. Help us to pass that on. Help us to see ourselves as advocates and ambassadors of this mercy and this love that we are recipients of uh, and we don't deserve. Help us to see others in the way that you see them, God, that we would long to know them, God, that we would long to be in their lives just to be able to give, uh, given the chance to introduce them to you. God, help our lives and the fruit that comes with it uh, to point other people to you as well. God, help it to line up, and when we're off, help us to be for, there for each other. God, to bring us back to you. God, to pray for one another and encourage each other. I thank you for this room uh, and, and a connection even online to other broken people. God, we recognize together your goodness and our imperfection, God. Of sinners, we are the worst, and yet you have shown love to us. We ask that you would show love through us. In Jesus' name, amen.